let's open up to Luke chapter 21. As we have a study today that's so practical regarding money and materialism and just investing into the kingdom of God, um, really, really cool study. You know, for those of you who have been coming to the church for a while, you know that very rarely do we talk about money. Uh, there's a lot of churches out there, they talk a lot about money, man. They'll lock the doors and they say, hey, you better give, you know. <laughs> we don't do that. We never do. Uh, we give you guys the opportunity to give. And when we come across it, as we're working our way through the scriptures, we want to teach you what God's word says. You know, I'm going to share this with you guys. When I first became a Christian, I didn't really have a good understanding of what it meant to give to God. And I suffered financially for that. I, I uh, When I first, you know, became a Christian, I... I was pretty, you know, sloppy with that agape in my life. But then as time progressed, I realized, you know what? This is not my money. This is God's money. And I need to be a steward. And I need to give to God what belongs to God. And as that, you know, happened one day in my life, when I gave to God off the top, man, when I gave to God the fat of the firstborn, when I began to give God the best of the best, I'm telling you this, he just blessed my life in so many ways, not just financial freedom, but freedom as a whole. And that's why this study is so important, because all of us here, you know, we have a little bit of money. I don't care if you just get $2 allowance. You still got money that belongs to God, and you have to make sure you understand what he wants you to do with his money. And so this is a really cool study. I pray that if you're here for the first time and you're like, oh, man, I, here we are asking for money, you would know this is not for you, man. But, you know, in one sense, you know, rarely do we do this. But when we come to it, we got to teach it. And so here what it says in Luke 1, uh, Luke 21, 1, it says that he, Jesus, looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And so he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. I want to share with you three things today that kind of might be able to help you remember the study. None, one, if you could remember just the concept of looking up, looking up. The second would be the concept of putting in, putting in. And then the third would be the concept of throwing down, throwing down. First, looking up. Again, verse one says that Jesus looked up. He looked up and saw. He saw the rich put their gifts in. He saw the widow put her mites in. Now, the first thing we see here is Jesus looking up. If you have an NLT, it uses the word watched. Jesus watched. Think about that. Jesus watched as the different people were putting their gifts into the treasury. You know, and as that, you know, little offering basket goes by, and as you're there, maybe you're putting something into the agape box, you know, as you're giving to that individual, maybe it's that poor person on the street or somebody, whatever the case may be, it's probably really good to know that Jesus watches, that Jesus is looking up. I know that I need to know Jesus watches so that I can then watch how and what I put into the treasury of the Lord. 
And I need to remind myself that as I give to the Lord and the work of the Lord, God doesn't have his head down, unaware and uninformed of what's going on. God sees. Jesus Christ is looking up. He's watching as I'm giving. He is aware of what we share when it comes to giving in the kingdom of God. And it's, it's really important, I think, for us to be just really in tune with that. You know, there's a real interesting story over in the gospel. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 2, there's a man named Cornelius who the Bible says gave alms. He gave alms generously to the people. Well, later in the same chapter, in verse 4, there was an angel that came up to him one day and he told him, Listen, your prayers and your alms have risen before God as a memorial to him. And so we think, yeah, my prayers go up. I can, you know, relate to that. Revelation chapter 8 says my prayers are like incense. But did you know that your alms also go up? Because God, Jesus, he's looking up. He's watching how we're giving as we're living in the kingdom of God. And it's important for us to understand that. What he sees is that our alms are giving. They go up. They rise up because God looks up, not down. He sees all those treasuries, and it's important for us to know that. Here we see Jesus looking up, and we see the people putting in. Let's read it again. He looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. First we see the rich. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He saw him write his check, maybe. I don't know how they did it. In those days, they had the, the offering boxes. It was in the court of the women. There were 13 of them. And from what I understand, they were shaped like trumpets. They had a narrow opening in the, in the top, and then it would kind of go down. They were round, looked like trumpets. There were 13 of them. You can give in different ways. If you gave in this offering box right here, it would be for the wood that they would use to burn the sacrifices. If it was that one, maybe it supported the incense. If it was that one, it was the temple work and the temple workers. But, you know, he saw as the rich were putting in to these offering boxes. From what I understand, everyone looking like a trumpet was then uh, identified with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. It was real interesting. But there was this mentality that they had that, you know, it was kind of like a show. You know, and you go and you give, and as they were giving, as the rich were giving, these extravagant gifts, these enormous amounts, it was almost like they were expecting for, you know, men to praise them. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, some of the coins were a little bigger and they made a different sound. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, remember what he said? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet. Interesting, sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And, you know, there's no doubt when Jesus was watching, Jesus was looking up, these guys were just thinking, man, I'm going to get praise from men, right? He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, undoubtedly expecting praise. But Jesus saw deeper than the amount. He saw that these particular rich people put in offerings, it says right there in verse 4, out of their abundance. They gave a lot, yeah. 
But it was, Jesus saw it, out of their abundance. In other words, they had nicely calculated what they could comfortably give. And God was not impressed. You see, Jesus is looking up. The people are putting in. He sees the rich. And then he sees the widow. You know, we read right here that this widow right here in verse 2, she just put in two mites. The Greek word is lepton. It refers to the smallest of all coins. It literally means the thin one. They were worth a very small percentage of a penny. I mean, imagine if that offering thing went by you today and you put in two pennies. In, in a fraction of two pennies. That's what she gave. But what did Jesus say? She said, this poor widow has put in more than all these rich people, literally in the Greek, combined. And what we find is Jesus is looking up and people are putting in is that God sees not the sum. His calculator calculates the sacrifice. And it's important for us to understand this, especially in the world that we live in, a world of money, a world of materialism. Luke describes her as poor. Mark does the same thing in Mark 12:42, but they use different Greek words. The word Luke uses means that she was penniless and destitute, while the word that Mark uses means that she was beggarly. She was a poor a widow, a beggar, had no money. More than likely, Polly, what happened was she you know, ran into somebody and she said, hey, can I do a job for you? Can I maybe wash your clothes or something? And she washed their clothes maybe that day and they gave her a couple of mites. And what did she do with those mites? She went to the temple and she gave them to God. And when I read that, it just, it just blows my mind. She was not just a, a poor woman. Think about this. She was a poor widow. And it's like, man, you know, what a place. What an example. You know, when I read this right here, and I've always told you guys this, you know, God didn't just write this down for information. Oh, yeah, look what she did. God wrote this down for transformation. God wants to impact our lives with what we give, with so much that we have. You know, I was reading a story about that guy. um, I think his name was Albert Nobel. Um, and you guys probably know about this guy. I think the year was 1880, and he opened up his newspaper, and he read the obituary. It was the French obituary, and in the obituary it read that he had died. And so here you are. Check it out. You're reading your own obituary. You're like, whoa, that's weird, you know? But the thing that caught him, what ended up happening was it was his mistake. It was actually his brother that died, but they said that Albert Nobel had died, and what they said was that the caption in the newspaper was says, the man who mastered death has died. Why? Because Albert Nobel invented dynamite. It ended up killing a lot of people. And so he read, in one sense, he read his appraisal. He read his legacy. And what he found out, man, was this is the way my life is summed up. And when he looked at it <clears throat> in retrospect, he said, man, I can't, I can't die like this with this as my legacy. And so what he decided to do was to take the money that he had. And in those days, this is a lot of money, $9 million in the year 1880. And what he did was he established this thing called the Nobel Prize. 
And what that was was to be given each year to individuals who have contributed and benefited humanity. So you see, he had a second chance to change his legacy. He had a second chance to rewrite his obituary. And I think for us, you know, some of you here, I know you're, you're doing you know, good, but God wants you to do better. Some of you here aren't. To really surrender this area of our finances to God so that in the end we won't have any regrets of what we did as stewards with the things that God has given to us. You see, Jesus here was looking up and he saw the people putting in and he saw that this widow put in out of her poverty, she put in everything that she had. You know, and as we read this, I think there's some principles that we need to capture because we live in a world that has money and materialism as the centerpiece of society. When in all reality, money and materialism and these things called possessions are very spiritual at their core. You know, when you read the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus taught on money and materialism, possession. Probably about 15% of all his teachings are in this area. That's more than heaven and hell combined. And that's how important it is. It's a really good book I read. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. I like this book because it's small. I like it, you know. (laughs) But it's really good, man. If you can read this, it'll change your life. It's a great, really, really great book. A lot of things from the study in here. But, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, how we need to surrender this area of our society to the Lord. He said there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 3, check this out. When John the Baptist was talking to the people, and he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, trying to get their hearts right for his coming, right? You know, they were talking in Luke chapter 3. Notice it says in verse 8, John said, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, Jesus was coming. John was a forerunner telling them what they needed to do to get ready for Jesus coming. Jesus is coming again. The church is the forerunner, telling his people what they need to do to be ready for his return. What do we need to do? Number one, we need to repent. Number two, we need to believe in him who would come. You know, and that, you know, one of the things I found in life is that doesn't just save you. That sanctifies you. Yeah, it gets you into the kingdom of God. If you don't know Christ here as your Lord and Savior then you will die in your sins and you will stand in your own righteousness one day before God and you will not enter into heaven. Why? Because none of us are good enough on our own to get into heaven. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much you know, money you give to the church. I don't care how many old ladies you cross across the street. You'll, you'll never be able to get into heaven on your own righteousness, on your own goodness. You need Jesus Christ, right? And so you need to repent of your sins, be willing to let him go, and just simply believe in Jesus. It's so cool. It's so simple. That saves you. That saves you. But now as Christians, that repentance is not over, man. It sanctifies you. 
as you go through life and, you know, God shows you, hey, let's deal with this area in your life, then you give it to God. As you deal with this, whatever it is, whatever those issues are, and you repent just like you did when you got saved, and you believe and watch what God does. He'll change your life. But one of the interesting things about getting ready and really getting right is that it's really rooted a lot of times as a revelation as far as where we are in our you know, money and materialism stuff. Because look what happens next. It says in verse 10, you know, the people asked him, okay, then what shall we do? And so he answered and he said to them, well, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. There's that word give. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized, and he said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Well, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And so he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. You know, when you look at this right here, what's it going to take? What's fruit? Every answer related to money and possessions. And you're like, but wait a minute. They didn't ask John about that. Yeah, but John gave them that answer. Why? Because these things demonstrate a spiritual transformation. You see, our approach to money and possessions isn't just important. It's actually central to our spiritual lives. It's such a high priority to God that John the Baptist couldn't talk about spirituality without talking about how to handle money and possessions. And so don't divorce the two, because finances and faith are inseparable. You see, according to God's calculator, here we see back in Luke 21 that the rich were poor and the widow was rich. Because God calculates the sacrifice and not the sum. He measures whether we trust him and not the total, And rather than feeling sorry for this widow, you and I should actually envy her. That she could actually come to a place in her life where she gave everything to God. All her livelihood. Everything she had to live on. And what we see is this is an example for us. Some might say, well, it cost her everything. I don't get it. But remember, it gained her everything that mattered. You know, we know as Christians that in the end, we don't own it. That's not your penny. That's not your dollar. That's not your paycheck. It all belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell within. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And so we're stewards of what God has given to us. And so you might ask me, oh, then Manny, are we supposed to give everything? Because it's so, this is a weird church, you know. (laughs) You know, are we supposed to give everything so extravagantly? And, you know, some are, but um, I would say this, you know, that you need to talk to the Lord. You really do. You need to really sit down and, and talk to him what his divine details are for your life. I would say this, that you need to give. We need to give obediently. I pray that we would work hard to come to a place that we can give generously. And I pray that we would work even harder to come to a place where we can give sacrificially, you see. What we find is that giving does not begin to be real giving until it hurts, right? 
A gift shows our love only when we have had to do without something or have to work doubly hard in order to give it. How few people give to God like that. How can this widow, man, how can this widow give everything to God? Well, number one, we see that she trusted him, right? It was a tremendous trust. If you took everything out of your savings account right now, everything in your checking account, everything in your wallet, and you gave it all to God, would he still provide for you? Only those who say, I trust you, Lord, and really have that in their heart would be able to say yes. A lot of us would say, I don't know, man. I don't know about that. That sounds pretty dumb, you know. That's how some Christians are. But this widow right here, in tune with the Lord, following the Lord and the divine details for her life, she said, you know what, I totally trust him. I tremendously trust him. And not only that, not only does she have a tremendous trust, but I'm telling you this, man, she had a tremendous wisdom. Wisdom that I think we need to realize from the word. You know, is it really God providing? Do you really believe that? Do you really trust him? And do you believe the wisdom of his word that it's best to give obediently, generously, and even sacrificially? Now, I think a lot of us here know that, you know, when it comes to life, I think as Christians, I know this, and I've learned this about guys in the ministry, guys that have talents and gifts and whatever it is, guys that look so good on the outside, they have a dotted I and crossed T's and things look good. And the Lord says, you know, I look deeper than all that superficial stuff. I see the heart. I see the heart. And we know, I think we know that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. When you can find a guy with heart, a gal with heart, that's what God wants. But it's so hard because I'll tell you this also. Over all the years that I've been a Christian, I don't see a lot of hearts change. A lot of times people end up the same. You know, they'll only go this far. There's no depth. There's no character. But I'm telling you this, if you want God to deal with your heart, this is one place that I think can help you. If you want, you know, God to create in you a clean heart, you know, one thing that you can do is surrender this area of your life to the Lord. Because listen to what it says in Matthew 6. We're going to turn here later, but let me just read it to you now. In verse 19, Jesus Christ said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want a heart in the kingdom of God, if you want a heart in heaven, and I tell you what, man, give to the kingdom of God. Give your treasure to the kingdom of God. Give your treasure to heaven because Jesus said the principle is this that where your heart is there your treasure will be also you see some people they buy stocks you know how many of you here bought Facebook stock just out of curiosity nobody here I don't know I mean the Lord will lead you right but let's just say you did buy you know Facebook stock or maybe you bought Apple stock right what ends up happening well you buy it for the first time and then for the first time in your life you go and buy a newspaper right and you start checking it every day to see how the stocks are going up or going down. You know, and then every time you hear about an iMac or an iPad or an iPhone or news about, you know, all those kind of things, what ends up happening? It just grabs your interest. Why? It captures your heart. Why? Because you have investments there. 
You know, we have investments in Cambodia. We have investments in Mexico. And so every time you hear about Cambodia, whatever the case may be, it, it captures your heart. Why? Because there's your investment. And the Lord is saying the very same thing to us. He says, as surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads. Hearts follow. And that's why it's important for us to understand. And that's why we need to be so careful. God can take this, and as we give to the kingdom, he can work in our heart. I like what John Wesley said. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it find a way into my heart. He's a cool guy, John Wesley. I remember one time they came to him and they said, we have terrible news. John Wesley, we have terrible news. Your house has burned to the ground. To which John Wesley said, as he contemplated, my house didn't burn. God's house burned. And praise God, I have one less thing to worry about. (laughs) Smart man, right? You see, giving is the antidote to materialism. Giving breaks me free from the gravitational hold of money and possessions, giving shifts me to a new center of gravity, a gravity from heaven. See, when you got a whole bunch of stuff and you buy this and you buy that, you've got all these things, you know what they are? They're almost like magnets drawing your heart to your possessions. They take up your time. You've got to maintain them. You've got to check your warranty. You've got to do all that kind of stuff, Right? But then when you don't have a whole lot, but you're giving to God what belongs to God, you're investing in the kingdom of God, it shifts the center of gravity. A lot of people will ask me, well, how much should I give? I don't know why they would ask me. Don't ask me that, man. I would never know, but you have to ask the Lord. There are some of you here, there are a few of you here who can't give anymore. You're giving everything you can, and you're a good steward. You're living on on beans and rice in Jesus Christ, right? But then there are some people who say, well, I can't give anymore, man. And then you are, and you're eating out all the time. You know, you've got your cell phone, you've got your cable, you've got your nice clothes, you've got, you know, all these things. And in all reality, you're living above your means, out of the will of God. Yeah, you can't give anymore unless you begin to scale down. You'll never give up. And God really challenges us with that. You know, some people will say, hey, you know, the rich young ruler, he gave everything. He was called to anyways. And not everyone's called to that. Some might be. But the main thing, as I said earlier, is to give obediently. Give obediently. Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. And I like that, purposes in his heart. I really challenge you to pray, spend this time this week and really pray to God and bring your finances before the Lord. Please don't waste this study. I beg of you. Go home, get on your knees, and ask the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Do you want me to change anything? If so, Lord, show me. You know, as you purpose in your heart, I was thinking about doing an offering at the end of this study, and I thought, no. (laughs) We don't want it to be based on emotions. We want it to be based on convictions. We want you guys to go home, have time, and pray about it. Let it be, you know, as you purpose. Let it be something that's done obediently, and then... I like what it says right here. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
You know, if you're there and as that thing's coming by, you're like, oh, I'm going to write this check, Calvary Chapel, Almani. <laughs> you know, God is saying, don't even give to that. You know, let me tell you a couple of things why we don't want that kind of filthy lucre here. Number one, we don't need it. You know, don't think that you've got to give to this church because we're not going to make it without you. That's a life from the pit of hell. God's the provider of this church, right? That's not the way it works. Don't think, oh, i got to give. i got to support the church. No, the Lord will take care of us. He always has. He always has. Secondly, when you do it that way, grudgingly, you know, then what ends up happening? It doesn't do you any good, and it doesn't do any good to the kingdom of God. It's filthy. I don't know if you guys have seen that YouTube video of that guy dancing before he gave. Have you guys ever seen that? you got to check it out. It is so cool, man. We should do that here, huh? <laughs> As I was going through the study, I'm like, man, cheerfully giving. Lord, what a blessing it is to give. Thank you, Lord, for this act of worship. You know, we do the offering during worship partially because it's an act of worship, you see. That's what it really is. How much should I give? Well, the Lord will tell you, and you need to give obediently. And then I would add to, the, to that sub-point, I want to add to that subjective truth, an objective reality, that we would reach that part of our heart really to give as much as we can. I don't know if you have that goal. Would you be content with such things as we have? Hebrews 13.5 says, because he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I want to encourage you, don't be content with just giving 10%. I would say that. Some people give 10%. They're all proud of themselves. Cool. You know, but maybe the Lord will challenge you to give more. Some say you got to give 10%, you know, 10% of my gross, not my net, based on the Old Testament law of giving, right? Leviticus 27.30. And, you know, I would just say to you, if I could, that that's actually a good place to start, man. You know, whenever you read the New Testament stories about giving, it always exceeds the 10% figure. Again, Randy Alcorn said, tithing or 10% isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving. It's the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into a mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. And I read one story about a man who actually came to a point in his life where he could give 90% of his income, and he kept 10%, right? And I think when we read this, it's wisdom for us. You know, even in the Old Testament, if you would go back to Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, you guys, this is wisdom. You're saying, oh, man, he's talking about money because the church is hurting. Man, he wants money. No way, man. Not even. You know, but I'm telling you this, like I told you earlier, you know, maybe some of you haven't been taught. You know, now it's time as we go through Luke, we hit this point. But I'm telling you this right here, that until you come to this point of stewardship and surrendering your finances to God, giving to God what belongs to God, you'll never have that financial freedom. And maybe that's why your pockets have holes in them. You know, I hear someone, they say, hey, you know, I only get $20, you know, a week. And you expect me to give to God? Yeah. Give to God. Start giving to God. Maybe you'll start getting $25 a week, man. Because look what it says here in Malachi chapter 3. Notice what it says 
in verse 7. I love this uh, story right here in which the Lord challenges us. He says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Here it is. God says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In in what way shall we return? Lord, give me some specifics. And here it is. The Lord says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. See, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't just tithes. It wasn't just 10%. Even in the Old Testament, there was the offerings. There was above and beyond what had happened was the people weren't giving to God what belonged to God. They were robbing God. Now, robbery is a felony. <laughs> you know, that's when you break out a gun and you rip somebody off. And that's what you're doing to God when you don't give to God what belongs to him. God says, this is a serious thing. You're robbing me. You're robbing me. But then he challenges them. He says there in verse 9, you're cursed with a curse, even you have robbed me, this whole nation. But here it is. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now either God's word is true or it's not. And we know it is. God says, give to me what belongs to me and stop ripping me off. And watch what happens. I will open the windows of heaven and I will bless your life in such a way that you will not be able to contain the blessings that I want to lavish upon your life. Now, it's not that God is going to make you necessarily rich on this side of time. But somewhere in time or maybe in eternity, you will experience a refund, a a, 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 a blessing from God that goes beyond your wildest imagination. You know, it's not that he's some sovereign slot machine. Hey, I'm going to win this way. No, it's deeper than that, you guys. But I'm telling you this, as you give to God, please understand the principles that he will provide for you. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You just place God first. And then God will provide for all your needs, right? All these things will be added unto you. I like that verse. If you want to, let's jump over to Philippians chapter 4. And I just want to read this one verse to you. Because I love what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Now the thing about Philippians that's interesting is that the Philippian church, they were probably the only church that gave to the ministry of Paul the Apostle. They gave to him. You know, they invested in that missionary. And so Paul's writing them back and he says, you know what, God's going to bless you. God's going to provide for you. He says in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God says, I'll provide all your needs well what about my greeds lord (laughs) no you know and i think that that's one of the things that has jacked us up as a society i mean what ends up happening you get a raise at work you know and you start taking in more money 
What do you raise? Well, then you raise your standard of living. And God says, listen, that wasn't the intention of which I blessed you with. I didn't bless you with more money so that you can raise your standard of living. I blessed you with more money so you could raise your standard of giving. But what ends up happening is we, we don't see it that way. You know, and I'm not saying you can't buy a new car. Don't get me wrong, man. But hey, it gets you to point A to point B. It's cool. It may not look pretty. It may have some funny noises here and there. But we really have to establish the difference between needs and wants so that we can give to God. God says, I'll supply all your needs. And I pray that we would know that so that we don't live beyond our means. You see, God wants us to know who he is and how rich he is. And we're going to see this is really wise. You see, because Jesus is there looking up. And there they are putting in. And then we read one day, back in Luke 21, about them throwing down. Look what it says in verse 5. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, most I know most of you guys... You know, teachers, you're like, why are you talking about that? That's a, all of the discourse. That's a different thing. Well, I really sense the Lord to say, you know what? Make a little connection right here together. The Holy Spirit wants to give us this contrast between valuables on earth and valuables in heaven. And the Lord said, listen, the day's going to come when every single one of these stones will be torn down. The day will come, the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, that all of it will burn. The day will come, according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, where earth and the skies and the space will pass away. All this stuff that we think is so beautiful. In those days, the temple was covered with gold. It had all these elaborate ornaments. The apostles were like, Lord, look at how beautiful this building is. And the Lord says, you know what? One day it's all going to burn. What he wanted them to know is that, listen, when it comes to this whole thing of, I think, about just knowing what's really valuable, that we need to know what's really valuable is not this home, but that home. Not the things here, but the things there. And that we would surrender all those areas to God. Here we see the Lord saying, again, something so important that I think, and again, you guys, I pray we crystal clear, and I'm going to say this over and over again. We're not asking for your money. We don't want your money. But I, as a pastor and as a servant, as a brother, I want you to be blessed in life. I want you to give God glory and do good on planet Earth. I want you and I one day to stand before God and receive a full reward. And I know that unless we surrender this area of giving to God what belongs to God, then we'll experience none of those things because we are surrounded by a society that is mesmerized in materialism. Look, if you would, back at Matthew chapter 6. Look what it says again in verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I mentioned to you earlier that I think part of what Jesus is saying here is lead your heart, invest in the things that are the kingdom so that you know you can have your heart in the kingdom. But there's also something else here. And what is he saying? He's saying that when you lay up treasures on earth, you've got to understand this, that it's not just that it's, it's you know, a wicked thing. It's that it's a losing thing. That you can't take any of that stuff with you. It's not just that it's a bad investment, you know, as far as morals go. It's, it's a, actually a bad investment as far as finances go. And what we find the Lord teaching us here is something that's so important. I want to read to you guys uh, uh, some highlights out of this story right here about what took place during the Civil War. And I think I've shared this one with you before, but here you are. Imagine, any of you were there at the Civil War? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War, right? And you're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. And so you plan to move home as soon as the war is over. But while you've been in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know that for a fact the North is going to win. You know the North is going to win the war at the end, and it's imminent. So here's a question. What will you do with your Confederate money, right? I mean, you know that as soon as the war is over, none of it will be valuable. If you're smart, you'll only do one thing. You would immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency. It will be the only money that will have value once the war is over. I mean, you keep enough to get by, but you trade the rest in. As a Christian, you've inside knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return, and this is the ultimate insider tip. It really is, huh? God is saying this is wise. It blesses your heart, and it will give you rewards and benefits that are eternal. You know, I would encourage you to pray, Lord, how do I give? And you give obediently. You try to give generously. You even work your way to give sacrificially. You try to give cheerfully, and as you're giving obediently, and thing, another element of that is you've got to give to people that you know what they're doing with the money. You don't just give to anybody, people who love the Lord, who are teaching the word. And it doesn't necessarily have to be people that you listen to on the radio and they give you all their praise reports and they pat themselves on the back of all the wonderful things they're doing. No, people that you just know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're right on. They love the Lord. You know, I read one quote. The guy said this, Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> and you're really careful with all those things. And, you know, Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Because earthly treasures are bad? No. It's because they won't last. Be spiritually careful. And remember that God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. Some people say, Well, I got a whole bunch of money. You know, it's, it's a blessing. And God says, you got a whole bunch of money. It's a testing. What are you going to do with it, right? We need to grow in the grace. And I was wondering, well, how can we do it? And the Lord will show you. Maybe you'll give $10 more a week. Maybe you're going to give to that ministry. You listen to them on the radio, and they've been blessing you, feeding you, and you've never given them a dime of your time. What we find is the Lord says we need to invest, right? 
What we do is we take steps of faith and God will just honor that. I remember one time a lady came up to me. She didn't have a lot of money. You know, and not that she did this. I know it was out of the just the beauty of her heart, but she gave me a check, $11,000 one day, man. Things like that, God will do. Maybe it'll be $10 more per week. If we did that here, we'd have an extra, man, 3500 It's amazing what ends up happening when people catch the vision. I love what took place in the Old Testament. You remember when Moses was gathering the things for the tabernacle? What ended up happening? The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord stirred him up. It was the Spirit of God who stirred him up. It wasn't a guy. It was the Lord doing the work, and they gave so much that eventually Moses had to say, that's enough, man. <laughs> it's enough. Keep it, man. Go by yourself a double-double or something. <laughs> and I don't know, man, but I know that we as a church, we're doing good here in Almani. I am so blessed with what God has done through so many of you who have been obedient. But they say that only 10% of the church really gives. Imagine if everybody caught the vision. Imagine if everybody gave. You know, what What are you doing with the money, Manny? You know what? We're trying our best as a church to steward it. We're saving up for a building the best that we can. We try to help people with food cards and gas cards and, you know, benevolence and things like that. We could probably use a couple more people on staff to serve you more, you know, faithfully. But whatever it is, man, what we find is that we as a church will do our best to make sure we steward those things. And you give to those ministries that God leads you to give to. One more story from the book right here. And then I'll sell it to you for $100 after we're done. (laughs) This is a cool story. It's about a guy, and he went to the streets of Cairo. And he was there one day, led by a a group that was taking him to a place where, I guess in Egypt, believe it or not, there was a graveyard for American missionaries. And so he went to this graveyard, and what he found was that the plot was all overgrown with grass. And so he went to the tombstone and read about this guy. It said, this guy, William Borden, born 1887, died in 1913. Borden was a Yale graduate, and he was an heir to great wealth. But he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. He refused even to buy himself a car. Borden gave away hundreds of thousand dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. He says, I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave after describing his love and sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people. And the inscription ended with a phrase that I've never forgotten. He said, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. As this gentleman, Randy Alcorn, was in Egypt, he went from that grave to another grave. The Thurmans took us straight from Borden's grave to the Egyptian National Museum. The King Tut exhibit was mind-boggling. How many of you guys remember King Tut? Yeah, I remember the song, right? (laughs) I guess he was buried with solid gold chariots, thousands of gold artifacts, His gold coffin was found within gold tombs, within gold tombs, within gold tombs. The burial site was filled with tons of gold. You see, the Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they could take earthly treasures. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's internal enjoyment 
stayed right where they were until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for more than 3,000 years. And so he says, I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, and hidden, off the back alley of a street littered with garbage. King Tut's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Yet, he said, where are these two young men now? One who lived in opulence and called himself king is in the misery of a crisis eternity. The other who lived a modest life on earth in service of the one true king is enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of his Lord. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late, that he couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind the treasures, he sent them ahead. And, you know, part of the reason that I just... I'm blessed by that story. I'm so blessed that this young man would do that. But I'm also grieved, yeah, with how how selfish we are. I pray that, you know, if that's a struggle that you have with materialism or money or just not giving to God obediently, that the Lord would speak to you, that the Spirit would speak to you. He's worthy, you guys. He loved us. He died for us on that cross. You know, he bought us with a price. And I pray that we would give to God what belongs to God. Our time, our our talents, our temple, our treasure, that we give it to God. Because we learn from our study today. We learn that Jesus is looking up. He's not looking down. He's aware of what we shed. As we are putting in, he's looking up. And all these things one day will be thrown down. God help us, man, to know where our hearts should really be. And so, Father, I thank you so much for loving us. I know you're very specific, Lord, with us. I pray, Lord, that we would give to you what belongs to you. Our talents, yes. Our, our time, yes. But also our treasure, Lord. It's not ours, it's yours. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us that wisdom that we need, Lord, to honor you with the possessions, Lord. I pray, my prayer, Lord, is that you would just open the windows of heaven and you would bless my beautiful brothers and sisters here today. You'd bless their life, not only financially, Lord, but deeper than that, Lord. Bless their life with the freedom, Lord God, that comes from just surrendering, Lord, every single area of their life. And Father, we pray as a congregation, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they're born again, that today would be the day of salvation. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.